I want to announce to the whole world that Mr. Donald Trump is a fraud. Oh, boy. Right-wing conservative that cares about the people. And you should be by now asking, why do I say these things? Why do you say these things? (laughs) Because he signed another spending bill yesterday or the day before. And he is now officially a swamp funder. So how do you drain a swamp that you're funding? He has resupplied Planned Parenthood with funding. He has done all kinds of crazy stuff. And he told us last time he hated signing these bills and he wasn't going to do it again. But guess what? He did it again. So doesn't that make him a fraud? He's done it three times since he's been in office. Huge, huge spending bills with all kinds of pork. And I thought he was against all that. That's what he said. Yeah, I know what you mean. What is it, Doug? You can't have it both ways, can you? Did you hear about that bill? I did. I I think I remarked on it last week that it was in the works, that uh, it was being brought up for, you know, getting signed because, uh, of course, uh, government's got to have some more money to, to kick this can down the road some more because, after all, we're all just in one big can, and the only way to keep the can rolling is to keep kicking it. And I'm wondering if he even read it, because I heard things in there that would just blow your ever-loving, sensible mind. Like a wall in Syria, some stuff for the Syrians. Um, Gee, of course, there's always pipe for Israel in there. Yeah, you you don't mean the Israel of the Bible, though, correct? No, no, it's a different Israel. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, I guess I guess I could stand I could stand corrected. Uh, there is probably plenty of money for Israel of the Bible. Uh, however, the people of Israel don't recognize who they are, and they don't recognize, therefore, that. Um, these things that are being funded are are not within the will of God, certainly not in the interest of his people. Before we go farther, let's go ahead and open it up in some prayer. Heavenly Father, I do pray not a single word of mine would have any impact upon the minds and the hearts of those who are either now listening or those to whom the message may be shared through the recorded archives or by word of mouth and sharing the essence of it in the spirit of our commander's commission recorded at Matthew 28, 18 to 20. But rather, Father, I let it be your words that, that make the impact. Your record convey the true good news 
which will be shared and passed down to the next generations and remembered. Heavenly Father, it's my prayer. It will be edifying to those you have called and are calling. Let it be understood in the spirit of righteousness and that stony hearts will become as good soil as the years are opened and the understanding increases. Father, I pray that it would go out with your blessing and return a hundredfold for the praising and glorifying and magnifying of your holy and precious name. I ask it in the blessed holy name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, now, Doug, I made a serious accusation. Yeah. I want you to tell me where I'm wrong. Oh, I, I don't, I don't disagree with you at all. And, and this is the quandary that, that the American finds himself in, and certainly that professing Christian must find himself in. And I've said this before: we have no reason to boast and to, you know, be gleeful and joyful because, quote, unquote, our, our person is in the job uh, and then lament while the other person is in the job because mm-hmm. it really should be evident to us now that, that if our person, meaning our, the Christian's person, is, is in, at the helm, <clears throat> and this is what we settle for, and this is what we accept election after election, year after year, then we are at most a sorry lot of people and certainly cannot be fulfilling uh, the prophecies and fulfilling the commission of the kingdom of God on earth. So... Um, no, I can't. I can't disagree with you at all. And, and to say it's a wild or or heavy charge and accusation, uh, no. I, I've heard prophets make the same charge. And so you would be a prophet in the house of Israel, trying to awaken the the people to the error of their way. And the error of the way is to continue to promote and provide these spending bills for this, you know, largest and debt-ridden um, system to continue to perpetuate and feast upon the people and the labors. Well, so, when he holds his rallies, I've yet to hear him stand up there and brag about signing these bills. I help fund Planned Parenthood, babe. Well, well, how about this? How about standing up there and saying which promise he has left unfulfilled? Such as uh, maybe he never made a promise that he would not uh, spend us into oblivion. I guess I don't. I'd have to go look at the campaign promise list and see if that one was included in it. But if 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 you are genuine and that you hate signing it and felt that you had to sign it under under some you know uh, 
uh, pressure or whatever it was, then uh, you know you can use that Call justification once. But... You know, how about this? How about just telling them I'm not going to sign it till we read it publicly? Oh, I I I couldn't agree with that more. I, there shouldn't be a spending bill that can't be covered in 12 pages. And if, if there is, then we're obviously spending too much and we don't know where the money's going. So, so by saying this, what I'm actually saying is there are a lot of Americans that are being deceived, right? Because... If they knew that he was a funder of Planned Parenthood, how could he continue the charade? And that's just a small thing that's inexplicable. There's other things. But to start out with, he said, I'm not going to sign another one. That's what he said. So if he's a fraud and a liar there, what else is he lying to us about? Has that wall been completed? Is it started? What's the status on the wall he promised? What about the investigation of Hillary Clinton he promised? Uh, hadn't heard on it. Uh, remember his comment, if I'm president, you'll be in jail. Uh, I, how do you explain all his pictures with all those famous people? At parties and the associations he has with all these these no goods. I I think they had him in a picture with the child molester. Yeah. Well, there were kings in Israel that did not act like kings in Israel. Well, and I, I then mean, they you uh, you exposed Kavanaugh. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of the scripture that says, you know, they profess with their mouth, but their hearts are far from me, you know. And uh-huh. um, so clearly there's lots to be discussed, but since you brought it up and for the sake of time and seeing how we've uh, got fairly underway here with the recording, some people might not think that this is a, Uh, the message that they thought they were going to get. And sometimes, I suppose, when they listen to the beginning, they may wonder uh, what is the Mm -hmm. message. But um, let's do what you said uh, you thought might happen tonight, and that is a message that uh, could be a message of messages in terms of this thing called the event called Christmas. So I've got some notes on it, and feel free, Russell, if you want to interject at some point, you can. But otherwise, I'm going to run with it and open up the door on this thing, and we can get to some additional scriptures and additional thoughts or something at the tail end. And I'm open for time, so there's no time constraints. And uh, I even thought that if we run out of time, we'll... You know, maybe pick it up tomorrow evening, same time, same place, and and uh, make a conclusion for it. But uh, we'll see how it goes. 
So well, if, uh, if I have a question, can I butt in? I mean, yeah, the, the, yeah, you the, can, the whole idea is to learn, right? Right, and, and I, I want to kind of convey the message uh, points, I guess, that I wanted to bring. Uh, so that there would be some benefit there, and then, like I say, you know, jot your jot your thoughts down as you go along, and maybe we can kick them around at the end, and that will have its benefit okay. for everybody too. If there's a point somewhere in 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 there which you feel like you'd like to interject or anything uh, with a, a particular thought at that point, then I have no problem with that. So, all right, well, you know. I know this event called Christmas is for many becoming, in a sense, a bit of a stumbling block. And the event is told and handed down and remembered as the story of Christmas is becoming difficult to reconcile with the biblical record for many. And this causes some to fall away as the seed has not been planted so as to have taken root. Still others may be washed away as it's fallen on stony hearts and yet others because of the stories will never receive the most awesome and inspiring record of love to be found anywhere in the annals of world history. The story of Christmas is broad, having many intricacies of a story, embellishments, untrustworthy in Uendos and inferences, fabricated, invented, and fallacious components. A story, you know, contains the characters, the setting, a plot, or a conflict, a conclusion, resolution, or an outcome. Unlike a story, however, history, true history that is, is reflected of time, people, places, and events in their proper settings. Stories may contain elements of time, people, places, and events, or even an amalgamation of them, albeit skewed by virtue or inclination of the narrative desire. I could spend this entire fellowship probably reviewing a multitude of misconceptions. But, you know, others have done so in tracks and messages, and today with the advent of the Internet, videos, YouTube, and the like. So I'm not going to do that. One thing that did cross my mind was the term misconceptions, because I have heard a lot of pastors in modern church world conveying things like, there's just a lot of misconceptions with Christmas. So I looked up misconception in 1828 Webster's. It said, erroneous conception, false opinion, wrong notion or understanding. And I thought on that for a moment, and I thought, gee, so there's a lot of misconceptions with Christmas. At least that's what a number in the clergy are now professing. And I thought, so in other words, what they're saying is that there are erroneous conceptions, false opinions, wrong notions or understanding with the story of Christmas. 
So I ask the question, should it be considered controversial or even anti-Christian or even anti-Christmas to seek to correct false opinion, wrong notions, or erroneous conceptions? Well, my answer was, no, it, it shouldn't. But if one has the false opinion or the wrong understanding, which is to be corrected, this is where the difficulty or the reluctance or even the outright repudiation and rejection occurs with cries of all sorts to justify or maintain the false opinion or the wrong understanding or the erroneous conception. The story of Christmas, believed by a vast number of people in the United States and the world over, is shrouded in traditions of men which are not reflected in the biblical record. We could look at just a few of these misconceptions. The first of which is that this is a celebration of the birth of Christ. Well, let's ask ourselves a question. When does one celebrate one's birthday? Most would answer, well, on the day of that person's birth. However, although the Bible records birth events, their celebration is never commanded or even commemorated? Or are they? In Genesis chapter 40, Pharaoh commemorated his birthday by executing his chief baker. In Job chapter 1, his seven sons went and feasted in their houses, everyone on his day. There's no direct inference that this is implying their birthday, but it is an interesting chapter and verse and scripture nonetheless. We do know this from Job chapter 1 that there was a celebration because they feasted. That's when people announced they are getting together, gathering for feasting. And, and the second thing we can gather from the scripture is that it was a gathering because they gathered their sisters. And the third thing we can glean from that is that we know that Job took time to offer burnt offerings in the chance, in the chance, that in this feasting and celebration, one of them may sin. In Matthew chapter 14, verses 3 through 11, when Herod kept his birthday in celebration, he made a promise which cost the life of John the Baptist. So you see, 
There are birthdays in the Bible which are commemorated, but I wouldn't say that the commemoration resulted in a good thing, which may be all the more reason Job was very worried, very concerned, and offered burnt offerings in the off chance that one of his sons in this feasting and celebration would sin, that God would forgive him. Well, that is a powerful, powerful story that I dare say the vast majority of Christians have ever even contemplated the ramifications of that first chapter of Job. There's simply no record of any command or commemoration for patriarchs such as Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David's births, nothing, not a single thing. However, you can consult nearly any encyclopedia or search the topic of feasts and celebrations or pagan holy days and you'll find December 25th or the weeks around that time of year. And you will have found the origins of the date and the reason for the seasons, so to speak. And it will have nothing whatsoever to do with Christ's birth. So when we hear that Christ is the reason for the season, or when people extol that so as to counter, as I say, I could come here and I could give all the information available about the pagan roots of this time of year, and that's really what it is, is the pagan roots of the celebrations celebrated at this time of year. There, there doesn't need to be any inference or innuendo applied to any of it, just other than that's what you will find. But you know, by merely saying this, many a person's defenses kick into high gear and a number of justifications are quick to roll off of their lips. So I posed my own self a question. Remember, don't mistake the tone of my voice or the method of delivery or anything that you hear and how this message is being delivered. I ask humbly that you simply, as I prayed to our Father, listen to what his words say. Don't listen to my words. I'm just conveying the words that are there. So the question that I asked was, how many scriptures record the day of Christ's birth? Or the days recorded and celebrated by the apostles and the early church fathers. How many scriptures could I find? I don't know how many you can find, but I couldn't find any. Zero. None. Ecclesiastes 7.1 
records that a good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than one's birth. Let me repeat that. A good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than one's birth. You can also read Ecclesiastes 5, 15 to 16. In Jeremiah 20, verses 14 and 18, it's recorded that each of us, well, why don't I just say this? It's a record that each one of us should read reflect. Then I ask myself another question. How many times does God record the day and month of his son's death? And I'm asking you, not because that I'm smarter than anybody else, but I just asked the question so that I would be inspired to search out the answer. Exodus 12, Leviticus 23, 4 and 5, Numbers 9, 1 to 5, Matthew 26, 1 to 2, John 18, verse 28, 1 Corinthians 5, 7 and 8. I trust that the point is made. See, there are a number of times that God made certain to record the day and the month of his son's death. Genesis 2, 16-17 records, God commanded the man, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. End quote. Death is an enemy to God's righteousness and commands. 1 John 3, 4 says that sin is the transgression of God's law, God's commands. Romans 6, 23 says that the wages of sin is death. So what are you saying, Doug? I trust you understand. I'm not saying anything. I'm trying to let God say what his, he has recorded for us. So let's try to do the same with Christ's birth. Let's look at Luke chapter 1, verse 5. I didn't have that one open, so I've got to get open to it. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah. Well, we're going to have to stop there because something exists there that you may not be aware of. And perhaps your pastors never taught you that. I'm pretty certain you never heard about it in the story of Christmas. Because I haven't. 
this particular passage, beginning with Zacharias of the course of Abiah, there's something we need to know about that. It cross-references to 1 Chronicles 24.10 and Nehemiah 12. So let's go to 1 Chronicles 24 and see what we can learn that God has recorded for us. In 1 Chronicles 10, uh, 1 Chronicles 24, and all right, somebody gets there before me, go ahead and shoot. But first Chronicles twenty four ten. What you have here in First Chronicles twenty four for context is this is the division of Aaron's sons and the assignments for the priests and the Levite. And it's being done by the a number of sons. Uh, what we're going to find is that <clears throat> um, David's distributed them both, uh, Zadok of the sons of Eliezer and Ahimelech of the sons of Ithmar according to their offices in their service. This is in Second Chronicles 24, verse 3. And there were more chief men found of the sons of Eliezer than of the sons of Ithamar, and thus were they divided among the sons of Eliezer. There were 16 chief men, and in the middle of verse 4, 24, and there were 16 chief men of the house of their fathers, and eight among the sons of Ithamar according to the house of their fathers. So thus they were divided by lot, one sort with another, for the governors of the sanctuary and governors of the house of God were of the sons of Eleazar and the sons of Ithamar. All right, so here's the context for what we find in Jeremiah or in 1 Chronicles 24:10. It says that the seventh course was to Hakaz, the eighth to Abiah. All right, and this is what this is referring to in Luke. So what we have here is some valuable information. And the valuable information tells us that Zacharias of the course of Abiah, which would have been the eighth course according to 2 Chronicles 24.10, and again in verse 19, it is a repeated reference to that, Second Chronicles, uh, 1 Chronicles 24, I said 2 Chronicles, my apology. All right, so now we know that something happened during his term of service. It's the eighth course, we're told, in First Chronicles 24. Now, if we are to understand that the first month is the month Abib, meaning tender green, tender green in the Hebrew calendar, not the lunar calendar that the Jews use, those who are professing to be God's people, but rather the solar, which is God's calendar. So this is one thing that we could assume, but again, it's an assumption. We could assume that it would begin at this first time of the year, and eight weeks into that would be the eighth week. 
but we don't even know if the courses were by week or by two-week periods. The only thing we do know and, and have available to us at all is that they were set by courses and there was 24 in all, 16 and 8. Well, <clears throat> that's all the information that we have. Let's continue on in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God and walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord, blameless. Boy, I wonder how many people contemplate that set of words there recorded. They were both righteous before God. I have a footnote there of Genesis 7-1, Genesis 17-1, 1 Kings 9-4, 2 Kings 20 verse 3, Job 1-1, Acts 23-1, and 24-16, and Philippians 3-6. That's a multitude of scriptures there, but they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord, blameless. Blameless. They had no child because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. It came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at a time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled. Fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall be turned to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the, mother, of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So let's stop there for a little bit. Because there's a lot there to gather. Now, of course, we're talking about John the Baptist's birth. We're not talking about Christ's birth. But there's some information here that lead us to some things that we ought to know about the birth of Christ. And the first of which is that an angel appeared to Elizabeth or to Zacharias regarding Elizabeth's going to be bearing a child. These are helpful for us for identifying time. These are identifiers, if you will. All right, well, I was going to go to, I was going to go to Nehemiah 12, because there's some further information there that I thought we should probably have. Nehemiah 12, verses 4 
17 was also a cross-reference that we we're given there. And it's verse uh, 12. This tells us of the priests who returned from Babylon. Here for context, and it tells us in 4, Ido, Genetho, and Abiah. All right? And verse 17 of that same chapter says uh, of Abiah and refers to it again as being the Levites who returned from Babylon. So you had uh, a double witness on Zacharias being of Abiah, but it also is a witness to who returned from Babylon under Nehemiah's uh, uh, return as well. So, <clears throat> again, as I said, this is this is all helpful for identifying time. And if this is the eighth course, and the first month is the month Abib, and he would have been the eighth course if they were one week at a time, this would put him somewhere around the, the eight weeks would, would put somewhere around what is now, when we go from our calendar from March 20th, which is the spring equinox, to about April 20th would be four weeks, to, to um, May 20th would be the end of eight weeks or eight courses of weeks. And so, um, that gives us an essence of time here. And, and why do we want to pay attention to that? We'll get to that in just a few minutes. Um, as I say, uh, we don't know what the length of courses are. It seems only that we can infer that it was a one-week course, but it could be a two-week course. And um, I guess in terms of being away from family, um, you know, to perform the duties um, without interruption of family and other events that would go on in one's life, uh, a week probably would be less uh, taxing. So, um, but even that seems to be the one week is more of a modern um, idea that has developed. So, Let's go back to Luke. And again, um, I'm not, it's not my intention that we somehow have developed a new understanding of, of Christ's birth or that uh, I, I simply believe that this is a time when we can do a lot of good in trying to utilize the time to teach others the things which can be learned rather than the story that's being peddled that has so many false uh, uh, conveyances in it. And so this is a good time for us to be able to, to try to do that. And so what I'm hoping here is that I've opened the door in your mind that since there is no verses about one Christ's birth, in terms of the celebration and, and so forth, and tried to bring our minds to an understanding that 
apparently God felt something was more important than what was more important was the number of scriptures which he dealt with either the day or the month of the death of his son. And I think that that should be significant and it, it should help us to better see and understand what the more important thing is. And then also I tried to convey how the scripture shows us that our life, our own individual life, has little that is to be desired except in death because of the acknowledgement of that greater understanding of what happens when we trust in and believe in this creator who created and gave his life up that we might be saved from that death that we read about in Genesis chapter 2. All right, so we're back at Luke. And this is the story. This is the story that's that's so good. We're going to, we, we ended in the scripture uh, 16 of 116 of Luke, and many of the children of Israel shall turn to the Lord their God. Now, once again, so many times the church world wants to cast Israel out, and yet here we are in the opening chapters of, of the Gospel of Luke and, and in the Gospel of Matthew as well. We get in the opening chapters, and we've covered a lot of this in the message series of the fellowships here at Gideon Warrior Network on Israel, Judah, and Jew. There are, are, I believe, eight in the series, and we specifically covered how many different references were made to the children of Israel. And this is another one, and it tells us that many of the children of Israel shall turn to the Lord their God. Now, we'll um, we'll go ahead and read the rest of Luke 1. I know it's moving on in time, but bear with me. He shall go, go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this is what John the Baptist was to do, was to prepare for the... Uh, make ready a people for the Lord. Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. The angel answering said to him, I am Gabriel, that stands in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be done, not able to speak, until the day that those things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. The people waited for Zacharias, and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus has the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. All right, now we'll stop here again. You see, when he came out, it says that as soon as, verse 23, the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. So whatever those days were that were accomplished, whether it was one week or two weeks, we don't know. After those days, it says, his wife Elizabeth conceived. We don't know how many days after, 
We don't know if it was one day after. We don't know if it was four days after. We don't know if it was 40 days after. All it says is after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, thus has the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. So here she is. She's now hid herself five months. And this is all we know. We don't know anything, but after those days, she conceived. We don't know how many days. We could assume it was a week. We could assume it was a couple of days. We could assume it was, you know, whatever we want to assume. But all that is is an assumption. So, as I said, if we were to go from ABIB 1 and begin from that time frame, we'd be looking at somewhere in, let's say, May. And middle of May, end of May, 1st of June, or any time after on our calendar. And verse 26 says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So now we now have another timeline. Sixth month, in the sixth month, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The angel came unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed be thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And we'll just pause there quickly. So now we know that it is the sixth month, and the angel now appears to Mary, and says that she's found a, a favor, and says that she's going to bring forth a son. So we can rightly infer from this that this is six months after the angelic pronouncement for Elizabeth. That's what we know. It says that he also will be called the son of the highest. He'll be given the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Well, who is the house of Jacob? The house of Jacob is Israel. Jacob, Israel. Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. So if he's going to reign over the house of Jacob, then he's going to reign over the house of of Israel. And, of course, the cross-references there are to Daniel 2.44 and 7.14, Obadiah 21, Micah 4.7, and John 12.34 as well as Hebrews 1.8 in the New Testament. Then says Mary, verse 34, unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing that I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon me, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age, And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. Now we have a double witness that it is, in fact, now six months. 
For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And we'll stop there. All right. This is all we have. This is all we know. This is all that was given. That tells us anything about the time of birth is this information here. I could offer some some thoughts. I won't do that at this time, but if somebody remarks on it toward the end and, and wants to know some thoughts on that, I've got some thoughts on it. But as I said, this should not be my words. It should be the words that are recorded for us that God has seen fit to to have recorded. Um, that, re- that reference to the course of Abiah that's in Luke chapter 1, 5, and 8, that weekly rotation, as I indicated itself, is speculation. As it appears that, you know, this is what it would be. There's no reference to a fixed order for the service. And since Chronicles is dated to about the 5th century BCE, uh, to date, only the weekly rotation is attributable to post-biblical traditions only. I've got nothing more to offer. Uh, only that. They would serve twice annually, I suppose. Or if it was two weeks at a time, they would serve once annually. That's only 48 weeks. I don't have an answer to what would be the other four weeks out of a 52-week calendar year. So I have no answer for that. I've not found anything either. Um, Other than we can assume that God's calendar is not our calendar, and it remains so. And it's different from our own. Um, We're twice told six months. We can infer from this that Jesus' conception is six months after John the Baptist's conception. Again, we've only got a few pieces. Herod was the ruler of Judea. Zacharias was the priest in the eighth course. And six months separated the angels' conceptions. And uh, those announcements. So, now, one of the things that is the most important part about this information should be what we find in... um, the rest of the scripture now, of course, Elizabeth uh, uh, is met by Mary at her house and the babe leaps in her womb at the joy of, of Mary's voice. Mary sings a joyful song there in the remainder of scripture from 45 or 6 on to 55, 6. And then we have John the Baptist's birth here at Uh, Verse 57, now Elizabeth's full time came and she should be delivered. She brought forth a son. Her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy on her, and they rejoiced with her. It came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they called him Zacharias, after the name of his father. And his mother answered and said, Not so, but he shall be called John. (laughs) 
they said unto her, There is none of thy kindred that is called by this name. And they made signs to his father how he would have him called. And he asked for a writing table and wrote, saying, His name is John. And they marveled all. And his mouth was opened immediately, and his tongue loosed, and he spake and praised God. And fear came on all that dwelt round about them, and all these things were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. See, this is the message. This is the story to be noised abroad. All they that heard laid them up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. His father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. Let's stop for a moment. Let's look at Zechariah's praise. He says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. That would be Israel. Has raised up a horn of salvation for us, meaning Israel, in the house of his servant David. So what you have here is a story, a historical record of salvation rather than just a story that has been fraught with embellishments by the traditions of men. He's raised up this horn of salvation for the house of Israel in the house of David, spake by the mouth of the prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. There was a purpose in this. The purpose in this was even greater, that there was going to be a redeemer and that there was going to be salvation that would save Israel from the hand of their enemies and all that hated them to form, perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. You see, what we have here is a biblical historical record about a people who were from the loins of Abraham that desire to serve God. Did they always do so? No. But Abraham found favor in God's eyes. And in that, God made a covenant with them. He made a league with them. And something else here that you don't hear is that they were going to be saved from the hands of their enemies. So that says something, that there were some who did not like these people whom God made this covenant with. And they became enemies of the people of Israel. 76, thou child shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation unto the, his people by the remission of their sin through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the spring from on high has visited us. So we have something more to learn here. 
he shall be called a prophet of the highest. He shall go before the face of the Lord to prepare the way, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people. And who were those people? Those of Israel, as it just told us in the scriptures preceding, to give knowledge of salvation by the remission of their sins. Because in those days and in those times when they had sinned against him, They needed to be remitted. Those sins needed to be remitted. All right, then in chapter 2, it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria and went to be taxed everyone into his own city. Now, I have heard this scripture more than once changed from being taxed to a census um, by many in modern church world today, as if to change it from a tax uh, from a, a, a um, from a purpose of going for a tax, rather for a purpose of registering under a census decree. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the guest chamber. That word in is another embellishment because of an improper translation. There was no room in the guest chambers. All right, it's a minor point, but um, so in verse um, was I going to had a thought on verse four, I thought. Um, well, I guess the thing I was thinking of is there's a parenthesis around because he was the house of lineage of David, which means that that was added by a later transcriber was not in the original text. Um, so obviously, uh, the transcriber wanted to bring to the attention, did not mean any distortion by the record. Uh, wanted to bring to the attention that he was of the house and lineage of David, that is, this Joseph, uh, came up from Galilee. So, all right. Um, now, we've got to keep moving along in the scripture here. Uh, there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, in verse 8, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. That actually is an improper translation also. The original manuscript says, shall be to his people. That's uh, a big one. You don't have to take my word. Pardon? I said, that is a huge translation, Bhopal. Yes, right, it is. Um, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. 
All right, I'll stop there quick. Um, okay, in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, I know that a number of people who have come to the conclusion that this is not this mid-late December date, I should say, this late December date, December 25th, is not the birth of Christ, is not the date of Christ's birth. And so they've come to reconcile that, but many of them have taken up a mantra that says, yeah, you see, shepherds wouldn't have been in the field in mid-December or late December. And this simply is untenable. It's not, it's not accurate, and so I'm trying to help us to teach ourselves so that we don't fall prey to bad information. Uh, you can do a search and find out what the temperatures are like in Jerusalem at this time of year in that area and so forth, and you'll find out they range from, you know, the 60s, uh, you know, maybe low 60s, you know, during the day, anywhere from 47 to 60 degrees, 62. At night, uh, temperatures may fall as low as 37 to maybe 47 during the night. It certainly is not a temperature that the sheep would have a problem. It might be a temperature that the shepherds would have a problem in keeping their flocks at night because it would be quite cold. I don't know too many Texans that want to go camp out in temperatures from 37 to 45 degrees. I don't know many Wisconsinites that would desire to do it unless, of course, they were waiting for a Packer game. Maybe it's the same way in Texas as well. I don't know. But um, the point is, is that we should, not, we should not use an argument that has no foundation to say that it can't be justified. Now, again, all I'm trying to do is to help us to not fall prey to deceptive arguments. And so um, is it possible that they would be? It absolutely is. And if you understand the arid climate of the area and you understand that it's kind of a rainy season from October through, you know, first part of January, I suppose, and then periods dispersed throughout January and February, there's snow. There can be snow. There can be as much as a couple of feet of snow. It can last for as many as, you know, uh, seven to 14 days. Um, as, as I understand from all the, the available information about weather. So certainly it's not an ideal time for you to be out as a shepherder. However, if you understand also the arid climate during the warmer months uh, and the lack of vegetation available, you can understand why perhaps this time of year from October uh, on would be a, a valuable time for them to go and feed the flocks, even though they would have to stay with their flocks overnight and could not return with them, because this is an area east of Jerusalem that that they would have done this at and and fed these these flocks by night or uh, kept these flocks by night. So it's possible. So just don't fall prey to a bad argument simply because it gets thrown out there and it sounds plausible because it actually is not that good of an argument. Um, so I just feel that you should be aware of it. <clears throat> All right. Um, now, uh, 
Let's see, where were we? To give knowledge of salvation. I think we were about verse 78. To forgive them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto... No, I'm sorry, I just didn't finish that. I'm, I'm in chapter 2. I don't know what I was thinking there. Sorry about that. All right. Uh, and let's see. And this shall be a sign unto you, it says in verse 12, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to be God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward man. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. That obviously was what was told them by the angel. And they that heard it wondered at these things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. All right, so like I said, using that alone as far as the time frame, that's insufficient. It may seem likely and all the rest. I think I've covered that fairly fairly good. Now, is this 25th day of December a holy day? Well, I think not. Um, It's a matter of historical record, I believe, and it's worth knowing and understanding that there's more to the history um, and more to the events themselves. Uh, Certainly this 25th day or the days around it Mesopotamia, early early Mesopotamians had a 12-day festival in honor of pagan gods and gift-giving and other rituals. And Compton's Encyclopedia notes that the Chinese, Romans, Egyptians, and a number of other peoples had such midwinter festivals. So you can all find that all out. I know many of you have already searched for it and, and so forth. Uh, Constantine, of course, in 325, many of you know also that he was essentially uh, caused or brought about the amalgamation of the Christians into the festival's fold, so to speak, uh, the midwinter festival. And so it was not, it is not, and never could be, and never has been expressed as a holy day of God. God did, however, give several commands for the keeping of festivals. He called them his feasts, such as the Passover, Leviticus 23, 4 and 8. Christ, of course, was the Passover lamb. Another feast was Feast of Unleavened Bread, Leviticus 23, 6. And the Feast of First Fruits, Leviticus 23, 10. Um, Christ, of course, was the unleavened, uh, the unleavened lamb. He was blameless, spotless. Um, he was also the first fruit of the womb and the first to conquer sin and death. So certainly, uh, a feast of first fruits would be in order. Um, how about the Feast of Weeks, which is Pentecost? That's seven weeks after the first fruits, 
And that's when the Holy Spirit was given in the book of Acts. Leviticus 23.16 is the Feast of Weeks. It's the second of three feasts of the ingathering of the harvest. And the Feast of Trumpets was also uh, given by God, Leviticus 23.24, to gather and commemorate with trumpets. Um, interesting also about the uh, uh, Feast of Trumpets is... Um, another terminology that it was known by, and for some reason I'm drawing a blank right now, can't pull it off. Uh, oh, no, not not that one, Feast of Trumpets, but um, I just went ahead of myself a little bit in my thoughts. But uh, the other fee, another feast day that God did command and direct and made sure it was recorded was the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16 and uh, Leviticus 23, 26, 32. Uh, a sin offering for the Holy of Holies. This is what Christ did, as, as was revealed at Hebrews 9.12 and 1 John 2.2. 2. And another one is the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, Leviticus 23.34, a celebration of God's provision and protecting while they were in the wilderness for 40 years, where God dwelled in the tent, or he tabernacled with them, as they referred to it. He tabernacles with us. For the sake of time, I'm not going to expand on any of these. Uh, don't have time to go into them. Are they applicable and are they an application on us today? We've covered these at various times and looked at them at times. If you want more on that, you can send us an email at gideonelite at protonmail.com or repentorparish at protonmail.com. Uh, send us uh, an email and we can try to... Uh, bring you to some studies on that, or we can take up a study with you on it. And so not going to go into all of those, but the point is, and should be taken, is that if God wanted a holy convocation um, or another holy day to be observed, doesn't it seem likely that he would have had any difficulty ensuring that it would be recorded for us? And I think the answer to that scripturally has to be no, because he would have used it. Um, So hopefully that's just another way for you to come to the truth and the understanding without having the baggage of something else that somebody is going to try to you know, put in your mind as to how to view what is you know, being celebrated at this time of year um, and how people are you know, receiving it or perceiving it or how they're they're making the decision in their minds that this is something that they're commanded to do or that they're supposed to do. Um, You know, in Catholicism, you have Christ and Mass, which many believe this is where it originated out of, the term Christmas. And that's a service where Christ is basically re-sacrificed. And this is a totally unbiblical observance. Because in Hebrews 9.28, the scripture says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them 
that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So he was once offered to bear the sins, not re-offered. Uh, additionally, Hebrews 6, 4 through 8 admonishes against crucifying the Son of God again. So I think you have to consider if there's so much evidence points to pagan gods' holy days, the soul invictus and all the, the rest, how likely would it be that God would cause the first fruit, the birth of his son, born of the seed of the woman, to be born on a day or in a time of the pagan holy days or high days? Now, if God did indeed do that, then he did it for the sole purpose of using the very um, pagan and idolatrous ways against them. So that in and of itself could be of God. But we don't have any information on it, one way or the other. So I just... You know, should we bear a false witness against our Redeemer or if an individual can readily review an encyclopedia or a multitude of other sources and know with a very reasonable amount of certitude that millions and tens of millions are being diluted into assimilating or syncretizing Christ into the Mithraic and Persian Babylonian sun worship, are we to keep doing it or encouraging and teaching the next generations to go and do likewise? You're forgetting something, Doug. Do you know what you forgot? Give it to us. Maybe, Maybe I missed it. What difference does it make? It makes me feel good. Well, I'm glad you asked. And I was (laughs) going to kind of get to that because those are some of the thoughts that I've had. Well, no, no apology necessary, but yeah, exactly. And, you know, as I said, are we to keep doing it or encouraging and teaching it to the next generation? You know, through a manner or a custom or a tradition which uses lies, vanity, or things wherein there is no profit. Um, I have people say to me that, well, they don't want to upset their children, or my mother or my father or my parents won't accept these truths when I try to share them. And they believe in Christ. And so that's what's important, isn't it? Just as you said, Russell, what difference does it make? You know, it's like Halloween. They say, oh, it's all for the children. It's just harmless fun, you know. Uh Well, I, you know, yes, one can have that misconception, can't we? Because when we understand the the definition of misconception, it becomes pretty clear. Yeah. Um, uh, So... A couple things that came to my mind along that line when people have said those things. Uh, In the past, I I maybe didn't have an answer for them, but one of the things that I came up with that I thought a lot about was the scripture at Matthew chapter 10. Because 
in, in 25 through 41, Christ spoke those words to all of us who, who believe. And to admonish us for the sake of the truth, for his word, we believe. So we ought not forsake the truth if the truth has, has peace in it and it be received, there shouldn't be a variance to parent or child. And that's what the scripture warns against. It says that, you know, if you can't forsake father and mother for me and follow me, and if your children you can't forsake to follow me, then you're not worthy of him. And that's, that's very hard medicine. It's very tough words. But he said he didn't come to bring peace. So he's bringing the truth. And if the truth is at variance with mother or father or brother or sister or children, you have to err on the side of going with Christ. Well, then others will return. Well, it's just a day of rejoicing in Christ. And we've taken the pagan holiday and made it Christian. So what? We don't believe in pagan gods the way they did well, Ephesians 1, 5 through 11, admonishes to have nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness. Are not lies and deceptions darkness? Scripture says, do men love darkness more than light? Rhetorically, of course. Jeremiah 16, 19 records, Surely our fathers have inherited lies and vanity, and wherein there is no profit. Romans 8, 7 records, A mind set on flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. God's law is his command, and it says, indeed, it cannot. A mind set on flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Because it's hostile to God. The flesh is hostile to God. Are we to believe and understand by such retorts that secular traditions of men syncretized by pagan high holy days as days giving honor and glory to God and thus are to be imitated? Well, not according to Deuteronomy 12, 29 to 32, Deuteronomy 18, 9 to 14, Jeremiah 10, 2 to 5. I've even heard a pastor recently take Jeremiah 10, 2 to 5 and explain that the tree that was hewn down was a tree that was hewn down for the purpose of making it covered in gold to worship it as an idol. While he stood in front of his tree with his balls of gold and silver adorned upon it. Is it just me or am I missing something? Are you missing something? Christ said, in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Another scripture on that 
bringing glory to God and imitating and so forth is Isaiah chapter five, uh, 51. I had looked like 5.1. No, it is. It's Isaiah 5.18 to 24. So uh, Isaiah 5.18 to 24. Um, you know, Isaiah 2.6 was another scripture that I came across and it recorded how they had filled themselves with the things from the east. And it's a direct reference to Balaam being brought out of the east to curse Israel. <laughs> it shouldn't come as any surprise to us that this tradition comes from out of the east. And you know, Balaam went to the east because he liked that. He was brought out of the east. He, he liked living amongst the things of the East. He was brought out of the East by King Balak to curse Israel. Peter, 2 Peter 2.15 warns us of forsaking the right way to follow the way of Balaam who loved the wages of unrighteousness. So, in conclusion, the birth of Christ is one event of a magnificent love story of God laying down his life, a sinless life of his only begotten son, unworthy of death that he suffered. And yet it is in his death he shows us that he conquered death and became the firstfruits of the living granting salvation to Israel in keeping with Isaiah the prophet and Isaiah 54, 7 to 17. These are they which he said, only you have I known of all the families of the earth. That is why I tried to stress the importance of the terminology of the use of the word Israel, bringing salvation to Israel, a redeemer for Israel. Much of the church world has been told that Israel doesn't exist. It's a spiritual Israel now. And yet all the scriptures, just as I said in the fellowship series that we did here on this Gideon Warrior Radio Network with these men, we took these scriptures, New Testament scriptures, and we opened the door into the minds of the people to understand that this is the biblical historical record, it is not just a story. It is more than a story. This is they which he said, only you have I known of all the families of the earth at Amos 3, 1 and 2, Deuteronomy 7, 6, and Ezekiel 20, 15. These are those who were called from the womb, as Isaiah 49, 13 conveys. Those who would hear his voice, as John 10.10 10 says. The people of God, as Jeremiah 31.1 called them. A people destined to be a multitude of nations, at Genesis 22, who would possess the gate of their enemies. These are they who Christ said he was sent only unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel, Matthew 10.6 and 15 and 24 with whom he came to establish a new covenant with, as Hebrews 8.8 8 records, and so many, many, many more.
You see, the historical record conveys and holds the most beautiful love story the annals of history have ever held. And indeed, I didn't write that scripture down, but it hit me just now. There's a scripture that conveys that if all that could be written about these events was written, the world could not contain it in the books that would be required to record it. That is a magnificent history and a magnificent story that is much, much bigger and has much, much more meaning than the empty words that say, Christ is the reason for the season. Could be just me. And I could be corrected. So I'll leave this for the archive. What say you, Russell? There is a a group in our society that feeds and profits off of perpetual stupidity pumped into the public. And the last thing they want is the truth to get out because they will suffer financially if it ever does. So, this thing has gotten so out of hand. If you dare, dare speak the truth, you will be, I dare say, punished. You'll be ostracized. You'll be, your own children will turn against you. And you stay the course. I've gotten into a habit of saying, have a happy weekend. And <laughs> they don't know the difference. <laughs> Y'all have a good weekend. Y'all have a. Super Wednesday, it never crosses their mind that I'm simply telling them it's like eating pork. It's not good for you. It's the same thing. Well, I've been told you can eat anything. The New Testament says you can eat anything. We'll fry up some dogs. No, we don't want that. You know, it's 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 a very similar thing. Uh, yep. Some people love some people love the truth, and others hate it because it costs them money. If you start, they don't want Doug Nelson out spouting the truth and ruining Christmas. Like you said, there are some holidays in there that we should be going cuckoo over. That was very plain to me tonight. Uh, that that spoke to me is there are some holidays we ought to really be putting up the lights for. But unfortunately, this is not one of them. 
Yeah, yeah, I I think so too. I mean, it's, uh, you know, Romans 12 tells us that we're not to be conformed to the world. And yet you often have to ask yourself, well, what do people perceive as being conformed to the world? Um, because if we're not to be conformed to the world, then there ought to be a few things that we consider you know, well, some might say, well, we don't conform to the world. The world still uh, worships Buddha and Allah and, and, you know, so forth and so on. But is there any difference? You know, how can you take on a position that, well, that's not me, of course. Um, how can one take on that position, you know, as if to convey that that's not me? when in reality you have to ask yourself, is that me? I mean, that, that really is a question you, you have to start with. Is that uh-huh. me? You know, uh-huh. and, from, and from there, then, then perhaps, you know, it can, you know, you, you can come to some, some greater understandings. But yeah, when you do a message like this or you convey these pieces of information and and like I said, one of the things that I, I thought I would try to do this year was was try to confront, if you will, some of the things that have been taught as being, you know, the impossibles or, you know, just as I said with Christ, the, 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 the shepherds in the field. You know, let's not, let's not get caught up and drawn up into other deceptions for the sake of of forsaking the one deception that that we're trying to forsake. You know what I mean? The very ministry that we used to be a part of had a Christmas Eve show much like this and went the exactly opposite direction of what you went tonight. I don't know if you remember ever hearing it, but he set the stage. It was a cold, snowy night. And, and talked about how all these feelings he loved about this time of year. And played songs that were probably by Irving Berlin. Made you feel... it. Dang, he said, Dan, it just makes me feel good. It's just, just a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful feeling. And so how could you argue with that? Mm-hmm. Just like voting. It makes them feel good. Well, yeah, you know, Russell, you make a good point because that was something that over the last 10 years, because I've understood what I have understood to be the truth about the lack of a command to... Um, to um, keep uh, and celebrate a a birth date of Christ, I've known that probably the better part of at least 25 years, I would say at least. And, uh, but over that period of time, I have had a number of opportunities to have witnessed different clerics you know, people of the cloth, and not to cast any dispersions. I'm just 
telling you what I have witnessed and what I've seen. I've seen various renditions of basically tearing down, if you will, the soul invicti. You know, all of the pagan, you know, ritual and pomp and circumstance about it. I've seen them and heard them do it. And in the same breath, they sweep right around and scoop you right back into it. You know what I mean? I certainly do. I'm not saying... That's exactly what you're... Huh? I haven't haven't been immune from it. I, I learned... I mean, what you're talking about tonight is a different way to think about it. Yeah. I like that. And it certainly something to think about it's something to ponder over and once you get through pondering is it the truth it 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 the part about other holidays really jumped out i mean that those make sense they're sanctioned by god almighty they have his stamp of approval don't they they most certainly do or they most certainly did and if they did and if they do, whichever way you you know approach it from, he certainly knew how to make a holy convocation, didn't he? Yeah, and it makes me feel inadequate. That has And he certainly and he certainly know knew how to record it for posterity's sake. Mm-hmm. That's a very good point. And and as I thought about some of the questions that I had and some of the questions that I raised in this in this message here is, you know, boy, when I look at things and I understand, you know, that that scripture in Job, I don't believe very many people have thought about that scripture very often. All right, well, let's just flip over to Job chapter 1. And um, it's pretty profound when you think about it. Well, Um, yeah, because there's where we have the text proof that there's this equal God named Satan that walks around with him up in his dwelling. I mean, there's your proof right there, isn't it? Or is it? Yeah. Um, and Job chapter, Job chapter 1, Job chapter 1, um, uh, we could start with 3. His substance also was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 she-asses in a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his on his every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now, an interesting thing that I found here is that I don't actually see Job 
joining them in their celebrations, which is why he's offering for them. Um, but just the whole thing just struck me that, you know, this is a record of what I believe is a celebration of birth because the, the way it's written, everyone his day, his sons went and feasted in their houses, everyone his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So they were feasting and celebrating. And Job was so concerned that in their feasting and celebrating that one would slip in their tongue and say something that would be, in essence, to curse God in their hearts. And so he made this point of doing this continually, it says, continually. This he did continually. Yeah, Um, so... So take this back to what I was saying earlier. How many people have you talked to? They wanted to order you up a big slab of bacon, and you said, no, thank you, and they feel offended. Have you ever experienced that? What's your problem? You don't eat pork? Are you a Jew? Are you Arab? Are you a raghead? To which... Many times I will respond, no, no, I just, I heard it was very unhealthy. And God talked about how don't eat it in the uh, bottle. And so I thought to myself, that one I can do. (laughs) So I quit eating it. And yet they cannot buy that. They're mad that I don't eat bacon with them. And I suspect if I was to tell somebody, maybe even somebody real close to me, you you do whatever you felt led to do here, but I'm not going to be a part of it. But I would cause some enemies. And Pastor Peters used to talk about righteous sacrifices, didn't he? Yeah. And so... Uh, I've kind of just sat back over the past 10 years and not really done anything other than saying, eh, we'll just, we'll play along, I guess is what I've been guilty of. Just tolerating more than anything. Just tolerating. Okay. Because there's usually a good meal to eat, good fellowship with the family, warm fuzziness. You get the warm fuzzy, but actually, it's like eating that pork. Is it killing us? Is it killing them? I mean, you made a good point there that that it actually is a good thing to do what God would rather you do. I mean, that's going to be healthy for you. That's going to improve your health just like no pork. Is celebrating those those big days that he sanctified. He set out and said, this one you need to do. I mean, it's no gray area there, was there, Doug? 
No, no, and 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 that's you know, it's so uh, easy and for I guess the the Christian that has been taught in the church world that you know, just as you're talking about clean and unclean, you know, uh, um, all things are clean unto me. You know, Christ is has made everything clean and even they intimate basically that Christ is, has made all sin go away. And the truth of the matter is that no, it, it hasn't gone away. It most certainly has not gone away. And, um, you know, we, we take something for granted because the church world has found it advantageous to teach people that way that they are always justified in 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 the things that they do because Christ has been sacrificed for that sin of the world. And you know You see, I we, never looked we, at it from the, that self gratification angle. In other words, the warm fuzzy stuff, it's all there. Yeah. You know? And it's like the the perfectly chef cooked pork. They can make it taste good, can't they? Yeah. So why wouldn't you eat it? It tastes good, man. You're from Texas. We eat pork down here. You got a problem with pork? Well, my God does. You know that's the bottom line, isn't it? My God has a problem with it. He said, "Don't eat it." Well, you don't really. You're an idiot because the New Testament clearly tells us that we can do all that. We can have all any festival we want to if it brings us warm, fuzzy feelings, and the family you know, together. You know, you you raise a point there that I think bears expanding on, and it's just like the Jewish question. Um, you see. When when somebody says something to you and offers you the New Testament scripture that you know seemingly conveys that that you're all good and and yet when you expound the truth on that then it's the what difference does it make when you mm-hmm. tell somebody. Well, those who are called Jews today over there in the land of Israel um, are not the biblical Israelites of the Bible. There's certainly very few of them could even claim a drop of Judahite blood, much less. Um, Then when you're able to show them the truth of that, and even from their own words the truth of that, then it's, well, what difference does it make? And yeah, it is so true. It is so true that you you can't take these things and, and present them for the truths that they are if the only retort is, what difference does it make? Well, the answer to that question is clearly it doesn't make a difference to you. It never did to them, no. did it? Yeah, you know, clearly it doesn't make a difference to you. But if you turned it around and said, well, let me ask you this. 
you have been under the understanding that you have a great inheritance. And on the day that you go to receive that inheritance, one of two things is going to happen. One is that you're going to receive the inheritance, and the other thing that could happen is that you won't receive the inheritance. And so you don't know because the grantor, or let's use the terminology the father, uh, the father may have cut you out of the will, taken you out of the inheritance. So would it matter in that sense if you had known that you should or should not do this or that in order to not be stricken from the will? Would you have done that? And the answer, of course, from anybody is going to be yes, absolutely, unless they're just being totally dishonest and say, well, I, I don't seek worldly riches, blah, 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 blah. But anybody knows that, obviously, if there's an inheritance, you're going to be willing to receive it. Certainly, you can use it for good or for evil. But the point is, is that you would certainly receive it. And so, in the same sense, when you give somebody truth and you're bringing it from the Word, that's what I said. You know, I prayed that the Lord would, you know, don't let my words be heard at all. Let it be your words that be heard. And, and none of this is being said in unkindness. None of it is being said no, in, 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 in order to, to cast a dispersion or that one is greater than another. I, I must decrease. I must decrease that Christ, who bore it, will increase, just as John the Baptist said. So there's nothing in the words that I can use and say. I need to bear his words and his record for his word and his record is true. And so what I've tried to do is to bring some truth from the word to help us in this difficult situation of the traditions of men that I mean, you just have to look around you. I mean, I can't tell you the number of divorces that I witnessed in the months of January and February as a result of failed financial decisions in the preceding year or years. And oh, some of them also have to do uh, some of them also had to do with this tradition called Christmas, just the giving of gift things too, the wise men giving gifts. This is no connotation. There is no connotation in the scripture that says that we were to give, if we're to give gifts, then give your gifts to Christ. Give your gifts to a worthwhile endeavor of righteousness. But to just give gifts to one another, um, people used to give gifts uh, to kings because it was a custom. It was a custom. That's just a custom. So uh, we see that in the world today. If you visit, you know, if an ambassador visits another, you know, head of state, they might bring a gift. It's a custom. But a uh custom is not a law. A custom is not a command. And as I say, the custom was that they brought a gift in honor of the king. Not 
a gift for all the people, not a gift even, you know, to... So it's it's another one of the parts of it that is a misconception. Three wise men, you know. It doesn't say three wise men. So it's another one of the things that's another misconception, you know. Um, uh-huh. And when you look at all, you know, as I said, I, I even last year when I did a message, I didn't, I didn't want to just go over ad nauseum all of the things which are out there regarding the pagan aspects. Um, Lord knows we as Christians have taken on a lot of pagan baggage, and I don't want it for my own sake. I don't want to teach it to my children or their children's children. And I don't want to be, you know, condemned because I'm not interested in the ways of the world. As a result of you, Nelson, now I want to celebrate you at some other days. Thank you. I mean, I want to... I want to pump them up and make them important and de-emphasize the mother days. I think that would uh, be very interesting to do. Yeah. Well, it says we're right here to keep this, so let's keep it. Now we do the we do the spring equinox or the 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 day where you got to do the math, but that all makes perfect sense to me as a time of the year when somebody would say, "What are you doing?" Oh, I'm just my God's got some special dates here, and we're we're keeping them. For some reason, he wanted us to remember the Passover. He said, don't forget it. So we're having a Passover party. You know, I'm putting lights all over my house, which I never have done. I'm just kind of kidding there. Probably I won't go to that extreme, but you get the point. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And like you yeah. just said, my my God, I wish people would listen to what this is the elementary part of it all. It's destructive when you do this pagan garbage. It It's right up there with any sin, I guess. It destroys you. You might get by well, you with know, it, you think. But you like know, you said, think you, how many people go into debt over Christmas? Yeah, and right. and you know when you think about it, it isn't it kind of exactly what we do as human beings. We we tend to think that we've evolved, and so in other words, we tend to look at something today and we say, "Hush, shoot." We don't even look at it and consider it in the same way those people did. 
<laughs> and you have to kind of just scratch your head and say, huh? What? So, you know, it puts us on the righteous pedestal, if you will, over those people of those days because we don't, you know, do that. And I even, like I said, heard this one pastor take that phrase in that scripture in Jeremiah and say, that scripture, they used to take a tree and they used to essentially encase it in, in silver and, and or gold and worship it. And I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, he, he must not have read the scripture. He just heard what somebody said it said and then decided to put his own embellishment on it. And that's what's so frustrating is that, you know, and I don't want my words to be perceived as that. I want my words to be words that I believe had a certain amount of reflection and a certain amount of circumspection, you know, uh, in, in looking at at how one should consider and view. Now, was to was tonight just pretty much you and I? Yeah, and Jeremiah. And Jeremiah. We'll yeah. see what they missed by not joining. Uh, well, in. yeah, yeah. I I think that that um, I would like to believe that that it would be meaningful for everybody that I sent the email to and and there's no no reason to believe you know that those that had it sent to them would not partake of the archive over time um, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm hopeful that you know there is a desire to perhaps um, know I hope that because we had a, a long lead-in that 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 they didn't turn it away. I, I do have the ability to edit the recording and edit the front end out of it. Um, you, you know, that's always the risk you run with starting the recording. Is uh, mm-hmm. I like to do it sometimes so that we have an opportunity just to have some general discourse, and it helps to spur thought and so forth as well. Especially if we don't really have a top topic underway, but on times when the topics are um, are decided ahead of time or whatever, then then perhaps uh, the recording has to has to stay off so that when it starts, it's it's in the meat of it as opposed to the general chit chat. Um, so I don't uh-huh. know. You know, uh, it is one of those things that that I have to balance as well and decide what is the best thing to do, but. Like I say, I can pull the recording down and I can edit the front end and then have it be available to start up right where we got underway with this part of it. But, um, yeah, I'd like to believe that it could benefit somebody. Um, I, I was hoping that it might be a, a different way to look at it, um, a perspective that others may not have have thought of. In fact, I dare say I I've never heard anybody else deliver anything um, you know, by taking it from the aspect of what the scripture does say or doesn't say about either birth or the death or what it records. And I, I found it rather enlightening to me to find that there was a whole bunch more scriptures about the day and the month 
of the death of the Son of God than there was about anything commemorating the birth of the Son of God. Um, that, that was that's pretty insightful. Yeah. One person, one person, me, did get a lot out of it. So when Most I told that, we'll get... the people, the people that I told to tune in, I said he's putting a lot of work into this. And how can that possibly be bad to hear a scholar's opinion on this situation? You know, it looks like to me you'd want to hear everything you could about it. But I'm just, I guess I'm wrong. You know, one of the no. things, one of the things that's always struck me about the, I don't know, I guess the the story of the birth of Christ. Um, I think I heard a pastor say it one time, and, and it was a it was a it was a piece a nugget that struck me as well. I don't remember who it might have been. It might have been Brigham or one of the other men that had stated once that um, you know essentially it's almost as if one keeps Christ as a baby instead of really recognizing what this was. This was the Son of God. Um, This was a promise that he made to Abraham. This was a covenant that he kept. This was a people that he divorced and cast off. And after divorcing them and cast off, in fact, I think it's no exception that tonight, um, I don't know what I did, Russell, but just before we were to go live, there was something that I did. Let me see if I did a, um, oh, I know what it was. I was thinking about the scripture about God divorcing Israel in, in Jeremiah. And something popped up as I was in my online Bible, which is just basically uh, a program that searches the Bible. Uh, Something popped up, and in that process, I went and did one other thing on the Internet. And I have an article that I had, you know, pop up in whatever it was. How I I closed the tab that showed what I did, but I must have asked another question or something who was looking for another piece of information. But here was the question that actually came up on the search. Uh, It was an article, I should say, and the article was in reference to my question, obviously. How do you explain the divorce in Jeremiah is the question to the rabbi. Dear rabbi, how do you explain the divorce in Jeremiah? How do you explain that the Jewish people are divorced from God by his own word? Question. How do we as Jews get back to God under the law which prohibits us from coming back? question. I am not saying that we are no longer God's chosen, dash. I am saying that for us to be reconciled to God, it cannot happen under the law, period. Would God have to bring a new covenant in to bring us back to him? And he says, you may post this question. 
Okay, now, that's a good question, don't you think, Russell? Mm-hmm. So, in other words, you have somebody who is professing to be a Jew actually asking the rabbi about this very question about divorce in Jeremiah. And I tell you, I spent 15 minutes just before the the start of the fellowship. I almost didn't get the thing started because I, I think I opened it at about 12 minutes after the hour or 14 minutes after the hour. And all of a sudden, it was 27 minutes after the hour. And I thought, oh, boy, I better leave this article. And you, I tell you, I think we're going to bring this up on a fellowship because this rabbi twisted and turned, and I only got about, oh, I don't know, maybe a third of the way through it, twisted and turned, and, you know, it's very clear in Scripture. And here he is trying to justify, essentially, to his own people And uh, I think it's very insightful. I think it'll be very instructive for us to take this thing and and, uh, open it up. I'll I'll send you a link to it and, uh, you know, rich and stuff, and we'll just kind of open it up for a fellowship one night. And I I think it it will be a good good study as well for our people uh, to understand. So anyhow, just another little interesting piece that, happen as a result of this of this message tonight and so i just praise god and i give thanks and because so many times some little nuggets come and give us a new opportunity to to challenge our understanding and and search for the truth in it and boy if you ever talk about him trying to justify and and basically tear down christian doctrine it's there well, I appreciate your hard work, and um, I guess I'm just, I think it's a, it's something to take advantage of, this, this Bible study, because there are important things that we need to know about, and so... Well, if nothing else, if nothing, if nothing else, it gets us into the Word, and we've talked about that before. And it gets us into the Word, and you know, it it uh, that's a good thing. Anytime we can do that, and mm-hmm. by me, you know, uh, wanting to do this years ago when nearly a couple dozen men got on a phone line and said we needed to do this. Um, uh, I understood that to be somebody's responsibility to to make sure that that happened. And and, uh, so, uh, you know, I I suppose in a certain sense uh, took on that responsibility and and I enjoy it. I'm glad that you enjoy it. I'm glad that you are able to see some benefit in it. And... uh, Glean something from it. So, like a, it's like a zealot, zeal. You got zeal for the word, and 
if you didn't have it, we might not get it. So Jeremiah and me got a nugget tonight at no charge. Or a big nugget. I mean, we certainly got a a thought. And now I'm going to chew on it. Because I don't do any of that stuff, really. And my kids that are growing up, they're starting to ease over into it. Like maybe daddy was crazy, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just starting off wow. with little things. I'm going to have a tree. Okay. I just, it never did make sense to me. Just yeah. like you said earlier. If I had money and I wanted a Christmas tree, I can tell you right now, I'd go buy an Afghan pine. And it'd be something that we could plant the next day. Make shade. Now that to me would make sense. But I don't want to do something that God said don't do. I mean, we really need to try to not do stuff he said don't do. Actually, well, you know, Russell, yeah, Russell, and, and that's a good point. And, and, you know, just the whole thought. I mean, I have a lot of very good Christian friends, as you do, and and, you know, maybe some of them have made a transition away from the the traditions and, and the rituals that have become Christmas uh, of today, and they do things differently, I, I guess would be a good way to put it. And, um, um, but as you said, you know, do I, I, it would seem as if I'd want to go away from this. And, so the idea is, as we're going away from the ways of the world, um, we want to clearly be doing it for the right reasons. We mm-hmm. don't want to be using wrong information, creating more misconception, and deepening the gap of misconception versus truth. And so that was part of the reason that I wanted to try to bring this today was to not so much get all caught up in the weeds of of the you know the pagan rituals there's been enough people that have done that and it doesn't take Mm -hmm. much searching at all in order to come to that conclusion but now there needs to be a solution for those that that if if you will want to forsake that want to forsake the traditions of men and ground them in the traditions of the word and there's a whole host, and so this is a great opportune time for us to teach people the greater message. And that indeed is what we really ought to be doing is the gospel message. And the gospel message is the good news that was brought to Israel that they were going to be redeemed and brought back to, to continue under their commission of God to be the blessing to the world and that they would continue under the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh. And so that's the story. It's a story we all know and understand, and even many Christians who still haven't made a transition from the ways of the world. And, you know, as Paul told us, you know, he didn't look down on one man because of his meats or 
you know, his customs. He tried to appeal to them, and that's what we do. We appeal to one another in truth and in righteousness, and we try not to set a stumbling block before one another because we know that we too could have a stumbling block that we would fall by because we don't want any to fall. And so it's all good to me to, uh, to continue to do what I do in, in the spirit of truth and righteousness. Now, I hope nobody holds any animosity toward me. I mean, I've had people even in my own family say, oh, you don't keep Christmas or you don't celebrate Christmas. And, you know, yeah, I guess if you're going to say that way or put it in that phraseology, um, no. But I, I definitely celebrate my Redeemer, absolutely 100%, because I'm nothing. Um, and, and many times, even as we talk and discuss doing this, you know, I... I think of myself just as Jeremiah did when Jeremiah says, you know, I hate my life. I hate the day I was born, you know. I I would long for the day that I could be dead, you know, because, and the reason he says that is that he knows what he is in this life. He is in a life of sin and wretchedness. But he knows that in, in his death, he will receive the newness of life. But it does not make him, you know, you know, he he could truly look upon his life. Even you know, Solomon, I guess, who wrote Ecclesiastes, you know, he looks on it as well and looks at his life as vanity, vanity, you know. Um and, and why? Because sin was brought into this into this creation. And as a result of it, we had to go through the things that we've had to go through because it's part of it. And um, so I look at my life that way many times and think, you know, my, you know, I'm nothing and still am nothing, you know, in comparison to what what God did for us, in comparison to what he did in coming in the form of his only begotten son, laying down his life, dying, literally dying, taking the the bluntness of that, taking the the pain and the affliction of that by whomever it would have been to have afflicted it on him. And did it all and bore it all for the iniquity of us all, for the iniquity of Israel's sins, having cast them off and divorced them, they could not be reunited with their former husband in marriage. And it's just a, an amazing, amazing story and historical record of what this creator is trying to show us and convey to us um, about the magnanimity of the totality of his creation and what he intends for us so that's uh and then to watch us do what we do in our own country and the despicable ways in which we enslave our people and and economically use and abuse and it's just it's just it's very frustrating as we started out the fellowship with you know yeah 
Well, all right, brother. I think we should close in prayer. You've uh, hung on for a long while here. I suppose you're going to be off tomorrow, so you don't have to make it as early in the morning. And, uh, but let's close in prayer. Okay. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for the opportunity, and I praise you for those things that you continue to teach me through your word. And, Father, as I open this fellowship, I ask that my words would, would be of none effect on the hearts and the minds of the people, but your words only would have the effect. And so, Father, I try to keep in mind all the words that you spoke and try to bring those out. And I pray, Father, that they will be a blessing and an encouragement to others and that they will find peace and happiness and joy uh, in those words for uh, a substitute for that which they might feel that they're losing by turning away from some of the ways of the world and the traditions of men. And Father, I thank you for Brother Russell, his family. I pray for them. They continue to have your blessings and bountifully poured upon them and their work, and their labors, that the year ahead will be a blessing to them and all that they do and their clients and the service that they provide. And Father, I thank you for our clients and the ones you've given us that have have brought us an income to be able to to share in this life with our family. I I thank you for that. I thank you for them. I thank you that they continue to trust in us to provide them those services. Father, I pray for yours, wherever they are. I pray for the men that fellowship with us and and routinely uh, uh, visit these archives, that this would be another archive that could be a blessing to them. I pray, Father, for your your blessing upon the health of our children and the families abroad. I know Rich and Nancy are traveling right now. Generally, they they do at this time of year. Pray for their safe travels and their families and their extended families. And I thank you so much, Father, for the opportunity to fellowship here and the opportunity that's available through the technology. And I just pray, Father, it be a blessing to your people and those that come and are able to hear them. I ask these things and give thanks in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. 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 All right, brothers. We will sign off and... Talk to you all next week. Okay. Thank you, Doug. All right. Good night. Yes. Good night.